Hey friends, before we begin this episode, I wanted to let you know that today we launched a brand new emotional wellness masterclass, Building Healthy Community, How to Combat Loneliness and Build Relationships That Matter. If you want to learn more about it, head to onsiteworkshops.com slash community and make sure to use the code podcast at the checkout to get $40 off. At the end of the day, people that you are friends with that see things differently than you, mm-hmm. I don't even think we're trying to change each other's mind as much as we're trying to just be seen. We're going to be in a lot more of these uncomfortable conversations over the next few years Mm -hmm. uh, than we want to be in. And we can't just eject from them. If we want to see true change uh, in them, then we can't leave. (laughs) You can't leave the conversation. You can't leave the relationship. And so, yeah, so I'm committed to stay in relationships where people may vehemently disagree with me on issues. Because at the end of the day, humans at our core, I I honestly believe this, at our core are good and we all are desiring relationship and to help other. I, I believe everyone wants everyone else to be helped. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Living Centered Podcast. Today, Lindsay and I sit down with Carlos Whitaker. I'm so excited for you to get to know Carlos, if you don't already. His bio says he's an author, speaker, moment maker, spider killer, and hope dealer. Those last two you're going to learn a lot more about in this episode. Hope is the thread that winds through everything Carlos does, from the hard topics he chooses to intentionally talk about, like race and injustice, with millions of people on the internet, and the people closest to him, to the books he writes and the dreams he chases. Today, we talked a lot about relationships, leaning into uncomfortable conversations about things that matter, how he chooses to prioritize, destigmatize, and change the way he talks about mental health, and how we're all better off when we find a little bit more hope. Meet our friend, Carlos Whitaker. Carlos, it's so fun to have you here with us today. Here I am. I'm in, I'm in a throne, literally. <laughs> literally in a, throne. a throne. Yeah. People can't see this. Does it feel right? It looks right. Actually, it feels kind of good. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I'm like, whatever this throne is, can I take it home and sit in it once a day? Yeah. Just makes you feel okay. When you're having a down day. You'd... Just sit in this chair and you'll just, just go to your nearest home goods. And I'm sure one of these is That's there. That's probably right. It feels <laughs> so, very home goodsy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Totally. Longtime friend. Longtime friend. Longtime Long fan. Longtime. And we were kind of talking a little bit before the episode. It's been so cool to sort of see you evolve yes. as a human. And yeah. even the things that you're creating have evolved constantly, yeah. but so mm-hmm. much over the last year. Yes, yes. Definitely over the last year. I think for me, I've seen it shift and maybe maybe go in a direction that I didn't expect when when I started talking about justice and race and a lot of things that I wasn't talking about for ever before. Uh, And then to see just the gravity and the influx of people that wanted that content and wanted that teaching and wanted. um, And then so it just kind of exploded. And now I find myself in this space of like, okay, so there's a lot of people hanging around my world that want to hear me talk about this stuff more. 
how do I continue to incorporate what I used to talk about into what I'm currently talking about? Yet, I think I think over our, the overarching theme is still freedom and hope and just helping yeah. people mm. get to that space, you know? And so I think it's going to constantly evolve, constantly look different. But I think if I've got those two words in there, I think it'll always kind of center me. I love that. Yeah. And I feel like you have such a unique gift of sort of like really seeing where the world is at mm. and like meeting them there. Yeah. And this year the world has been in a really divided, yeah. really aware of its sort of wounding mm-hmm. and, the, and the legacy of wounding yeah. and that you're just kind of meeting people there and helping usher them forward. And so yeah. I'm so grateful for your voice in the world always, yeah. but no, yeah, no, thank you. This time. I, and I think that's right. I think meeting the world in a place where they, they have discovered, maybe they've just discovered their pain is is what what it's what it's looked like. We've always been living in it, but I think people are just aware now like, "Oh. Whoa. How yeah. do I how do I process this newly discovered pain that I've been existing in?" So, and man, I, that is where I just come alive. Like I I I love to help people. I don't care what your worldview is. Um I love I love to help people process that. So, yeah. And because of the work we do it here at Onsite around like emotional health and helping people sort of and personal growth and helping people kind of move forward. What is that journey of race and identity? Mm. They're so tied together. Yeah. How has that process been for you personally? Yeah. Wow. Do we have any therapists around? (laughs) I know. (laughs) They can come in and help. You know, for me, it's uh, so, so, you know, I have a, father from Panama. He's a black Panamanian. Um, and I've got a mother from Mexico and she's a white Mexican. Mm. Mm. And now again, re, you know, reminding people that, that race is a construct that was developed. Okay. That like by man. Right. And so, uh, but, but we exist in it. So that's why I, I have to talk about it. And it has been really, it's been really difficult for me to help people it's been difficult, but also rewarding to help people re- that have never looked at me as Carlos, the black guy mm-hmm. or Carlos, the Mexican guy. They've just, Carlos, you're my friend. You're the guy that I follow. And then suddenly when I started talking about this, people got really uncomfortable mm-hmm. because they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Like, first of all, like your dad speaks Spanish. He's not black. Like these are the first kind of mm-hmm. statements people would make to me where I was like, wait, they really think that black people can't speak other languages. Like, like, like that yeah. was the beginning of my eyes being open to like, whoa, people really don't know. Yeah. And then so it, it just, it actually excited me that I was a, I'm able to help people learn and understand these things. And that part for me, the emotional health part for me, and that was actually invigorating. And I think it fueled me and I think it made me feel alive. What was hard were my friends. Yeah. Mm. That that so so when, when I went away from like hundred and whatever thousand Instagram people that I'm teaching to like confused people that have loved me for twenty five years, that's where it got hard. That's where it got, you know, now I'm in the weeds of of really helping them see what I my my reality, what my reality has been that honestly to their case in point, I hid from them. Yeah. I, 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 I never talked about this stuff, but it didn't mean that I didn't experience it. So now that I'm talking about my experiences, uh, it really, it really was hard for a lot of my friends to be like, wait a second, like whiplash, like whoosh, how come, you know, 
I mean, really quickly, you know, you can keep this stuff in or out of the podcast, but like yeah. I had one of my best friends who I, I realized unfollowed me. I didn't really, I, I mean, like, literally my best friend, I've talked about this with him on another podcast. So he knows that I talk about this stuff, but mm-hmm. best friend for in college roommates, lifers. And I don't like two months ago. I was like, wait, why doesn't he follow me on Instagram anymore? So then I invited him over and he's like, well, man, like everything's about race now. Like, mm. like wh- where'd the old Carlos go, mm. you know? And it was one of the most exhausting conversations yeah. yet life-giving because I, I, I got to take him through, well, can I tell you why it's everything's about race? Do you remember when we were 18? And then I started back when we met each other and I started giving him examples and his jaw dropped because he realized, oh, you've always been dealing with this. You just never... Never been authentic about it. Never been authentic, never vocalized it, never, you know, and I said, and and at the end of the day, I, I now feel like I have no other option yeah. than to talk about it because now, you know, we, we have, the world has kind of peeled back the 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 lid and we've, we're looking at the guts of who we are now mm-hmm. and people are having to really come to new understandings of who they are, what they feel, what they've been, what they felt. But again, going back to the uh, emotional health piece. I've had to really do a lot of work because it's been those closest to me that have honestly caused me to do the most amount of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm still doing the work. I'm still, you know, trying to be healthy, trying to create boundaries, trying to um, know that I don't have to have an opinion on every single thing that my best friends need me to have an opinion about. Like sometimes I can just not, not care about the most dramatic mm-hmm. thing that's happening. And it's probably the healthiest thing I can do. So, you know, I kind of, you know, went around here and there on that answer, but that's kind of where this last year has taken me and has taken a toll on my emotional health. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's hard. Yeah. So. I think you're someone who leans really well into the uncomfortable conversation because when you were talking, I was feeling like, well, it must be so freeing to this 117,000 people. Like yeah. I can be myself now, but it the rubber hits, you know, rubber oh, meets the road yeah. with your best friend. And so how yeah. do you... Why I think, and then how do you intentionally lean into those uncomfortable conversations with the people that you care about yeah. when their feels is divide? Yeah, because we are getting to a space and a place, and I won't, you know, I, I'm sure this is around the planet. We we've just yeah. collectively been through the most traumatic experience of all of our lives, mm-hmm. right? So like we a let's just say that out loud, right? We, let's just let's be upfront. B because of that, we are now everyone's processing life and everything in a much deeper scale. If we just eject from these hard conversations mm-hmm. and eject from these harder relationships, I, I, I believe that in 10 years, it's going to be even harder than it is now. I feel like that's mm-hmm. the opposite direction yeah. of where we need to go to get back to where we need to be as humanity. Yeah, We actually have to now press into these uncomfortable conversations. We have to now press into these relationships that, you know, people ask me all the time, like Carlos, I don't hide where I stand politically or on a bunch of issues. I say it in kindness, you know, and I invite everybody to to listen to me, but I definitely don't hide where I stand on things. And so Mm -hmm. people will tell me all the time who know that I believe really strongly about a certain policy or procedure or something. How can you be friends with that other person? Or how can you go speak at that event? I spoke at, at a company last week that I got so much feedback from people like, how can you speak at that company mm. who doesn't support so many issues that you believe in? And my answer is, well, if if I leave, 
then right. who, who will who, do it? who's going to be there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so like we're never going to change people from the, I don't think from the outside or organizations from the outside. If I'm invited into the heart of an organization that I love, but may see things differently than me or a human being invited to the middle of them, I want to stay there. I want to stay in the inside because in the insides where I'm going to have the most um, opportunity for change. And mm-hmm. so just knowing that we, if, if you're ever in a hard conversation with somebody and you start to feel the tension and you start to feel like this is too uncomfortable, I've got to eject. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pay attention to your emotional health. Make sure that that's okay. But also know that we're going to be in a lot more of these uncomfortable conversations over the next few years mm-hmm. uh, than we want to be in. And we can't just eject from them. If we want to see true change uh, in them, then we can't leave. Right? <laughs> you can't leave the conversation. You can't leave the relationship. And so, yeah, so I'm committed to stay in relationships where people may vehemently disagree with me on issues. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, humans at our core, I, I honestly believe this, at our core are good and we all are desiring relationship and to help other. I, I believe everyone wants mm. everyone else to be helped, right? Mm-hmm. If a kid gets kidnapped yeah. outside in the mall, 15 people go chasing after the kidnapper. Nobody's asking each other on the way, well, hey, wh- where do you stand on this? Where mm. do you? No, they're collectively unified in the goal of making sure that this kid's free. And I just feel like that's really at the core of who we all are. We just have to get past some of these conversations to see that. So mm. that was probably way too long of an answer, but. No, I loved great. it. Yeah. It makes me think of that Brene Brown quote where she says, it's hard to hate people up close. Up close. Oh, it's And my I just feel quote, like. Yeah the more intentionally we can put ourselves up close with people. Cause I think it's really easy yeah. now to stay 10 feet from someone that you don't agree with a hundred feet, like yeah. through a screen and never get up close and say, Oh, you're yeah. a real human or you have been experiencing this or take it a next step farther and say, okay, tell me why, mm. yeah, you know, why this is important to you. So yeah, I yeah. yeah. I say it, I say it all the time. It's my kind of my little catchphrase. Don't stand on issues, but walk with people. Mm. And that's just saying that every single day to me is like, okay, we stand on different parts of it, an issue, but if I just walk with them, that's where that's where healing's going to come. So, yeah, I love the idea of just assuming positive intent too. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that it's like even if somebody and I disagree on the issue, trusting that their motivation, yes, for that deeply held belief is that yes. they want like good for people in the world. Yes, mm. trusting that because even if you disagree on something very important. Where they're coming from, well, we'll start with us. Where we're coming from is based on on something that is true to us. Yeah. Okay. So there's truth involved. Where they're coming from is based on something that's very true to them. And so like just knowing that whether it be something traumatic that has happened to them at some point in their life that has brought them to this place of belief. Like mm-hmm. I always go, go even farther back than whatever it is we disagree with. I'm like, no, let's go back even farther. Like what, what caused them to begin to believe this or, or support this. And like, if you can get past that, whatever the issue is and get to the human part of whatever the trauma is or whatever the, the moment was where something broke or mm-hmm. something healed. Gosh, if we can get to there with each other, Oh, so he's just going to accelerate healing. You yeah. Know? I also like the idea of like knowing that the if we don't bridge the divide, it's just going to keep growing. And so we have to lean into each other. Yeah. 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 And you talked earlier about, you know, 
friends that have been hurtful. Has there any friends that have like really leaned in and sort of helped be a bridge to oh, you in yeah. this season? And yeah. what what does that like practically look like? Because I think a lot of times people don't know how to do that well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that question. I don't know how to do that well. So tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't necessarily know how to do that well, but I've seen it done well yeah. to me. Yeah. And I've seen it done well in, here's the deal. At the end of the day, people that you are friends with that see things differently than you, Mm -hmm. I don't even think we're trying to change each other's mind as much as we're trying to just be seen. Mm. And so for me, as I've stepped into this new space of educating people on race, educating people on um, things... I have a lot of friends of mine that don't believe that racism is as big of a problem mm. as I believe it is. So we stand completely differently here. I have two relationships in particular. These are like the, the same version of human and version of friends. They hold different places in my heart. But if you look at how they were raised, they live in California, um, super conservative, white dudes that love me. We've been best friends for a long time. We just look at the world through different lenses. One of them mm-hmm. made a decision Oh, okay. And and both of them hold the same job. Okay. I'll just put it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have the same job. One of them made it, has, has made it his goal in life to convince me to see the world the way I need to see it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, it's been like articles and YouTubes and I mean, that's what he sends me. The other (laughs) one who still sees the world through this has made it his goal in our relationship this year to see the world through my eyes. Mm. Oh, I'm not going to cry, but mm. I'm telling you the, I feel so seen by this one. And the, 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 the relationship that friend number two or B and I have now is, I mean, I will do any, I'll take a bullet for this guy. And guess what? We still voted differently in November. Mm-hmm. We still, but man, he sees me and I see him. And, um, that's, that's what I think we need to be doing. Well, we need to be empathizing. We need to be looking through the eyes of those that we disagree with. Not, not again, not to just, not to be convinced to think differently, but just to see, and that's Brene Brown's Mm -hmm. again, you can't hate somebody that you're so close to face to face with. Uh, And that's what, that's, that's what we need to be doing. So yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, Ooh, I mean that I, those relationships right there. Uh, I've got a lot more work to do with with friend A, but friend B, well, there's zero work I got to do, man. Like we're yeah. we're we're there. And know? I'm sure it breeds a spirit of like curiosity for you too. Mm-hmm. Of oh. like you're like oh. yeah, how did you get where you are? Yes, yeah. And guess what? Like I've he actually like both of us have changed some viewpoints. Yeah, both ways because of our our relationship and how close we are with each other. Uh, because I'm like, you know what? That actually does make sense. And I am way more willing to hear you when you're so willing to see me, mm. you know, that's the goal for all my friendships and relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For me sure. Too. You have talked a lot in the past about sort of struggling with depression and anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which so brave. Thank you for yep. being so vocal about that. Why has that been important to you to sort of share that? Because when I was in the depths of it, nobody was talking about it. Yeah. Mm. And, and the first time, I mean, this was my first panic attack was 2006. And I had it on stage in front of like 400 people. Like mm. I'd never had a panic attack. Ever. 
You said it feel like you were dying. I thought I was dying. I, I we they they stopped the event. They called for a doctor, mm. like in the crowd. A doctor came up, checked all. I mean, like it was that, right? Yeah. I thought I was dying. Uh, and he's like, son, you're not having a heart attack. You're having a panic attack. And I was yeah. like, and again, 2007, ain't nobody talking about panic yeah. attacks back then. And like, I, I might as well be dying. Uh, I might as well be dying. <laughs> and, and I never felt so alone. Mm. Yeah. There's, I mean, now, now that I know the statistics, I'm like, of all my friends, I know that there was five of them. I know because that there were five close friends of mine that were dealing with what I was dealing with and not one person admitted it or mm. all I needed was somebody to. So I made it a point back then. I'll never forget. It was like, I think it was 2007. Mm. I on, on my blog, I used to have this thing called the blog people. You guys don't know. What, <laughs> no, you may not know what this is if you're not in your forties, but it was like pre social media and I would write on there and, and I, on my blog, I put up a video. I don't even know how you put up videos back then. Maybe real player. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> I put up a video of me taking 10 milligrams of Paxil mm. on my blog and just saying, I just need you guys to know if you're out there, you're not alone. The flood of comments I got from people that were just like, oh. like, I mean, people that it, that, that one blog post changed their entire life yeah. because mm-hmm. they felt they now didn't feel alone. And that, at that point, that, that's why I talk about it is yeah. because so many people feel alone. And so it's been f- since then that I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to stop. People need to see that, you know, what, when, if it was when it, in the faith space that I was in, that there's a leader in the faith space that is taking 10 milligrams of Paxil mm-hmm. and struggles with anxiety and depression. And now whatever space I find myself in people, I will never stop talking about my struggle with that because, uh, and even now in, I'm in a season but I always mm-hmm. say things like, I'm now going through a season of it. And I like to say a season of it because I like to believe that there's a beginning to a season and an end to a season. And if I'm in the middle of a season of depression or anxiety, yeah, it's just, it helps me to know that, guess what? I felt I've come out of it before I'm going to come out of it again. Yeah. And so, you know, now helping people realize that, guess what? Like there, there is hope, you know, there, there is hope totally. and it's going to look different from you or for you than it may for me. You may have to take something different than I took. It may be diet and exercise and whatever. Uh, but I'm just constantly trying to give people hope that are in the middle of it because it's, it feels so helpless when you don't feel like anyone else understands. And so that's what I try to do is help people understand. I like the way that you kind of talk about that of even talking about it when you're in the middle of it. Yes. Because I think so often we hear like, well, this is a, bef- a before and an after. Like, well, before yeah. when I had anxiety, I did this. And yep. I think it just gives people so much permission yeah. along that journey to not even feel like, well, if I was just as had my bootstraps up as much as Carlos, sure. <laughs> Carlos I would be after this. Right. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And so how does it show up for you now Yep. in your day-to-day and yeah, your actions? Yeah. Um, so I, I would say that my relationship with my bouts of anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. I am just now more in charge of that relationship yeah. than the anxiety and depression was. So, so now I, I would say before, like my heart would palpitate, uh, my heart would give physical manifestations of anxiety and I would get consumed by that heart palpitation. And then that consummation would turn into more heart palpitations, which would turn into Google, which would turn into anxiety, which would turn into worry, which would turn into a year of mm. of journal entries of me of woe is me. And now I'll get a heart palpitation. Yeah. And that's my body saying, you know, hey, they, you are overstressed or stimulated in something, and I don't stress about it anymore. Like mm. I let yeah. it come. Yeah. And then I let it go. Yeah. And 
it's amazing what happens when we just kind of take hold of the relationship. And I say relationship because this is something that we're in, we're in a broken world. We're, yeah. you know, uh, this is something that uh, may come back again, may not. But when it does, like, I do treat it like I'm the boss of this thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm the one that's leading this relationship instead of it kind of leading me. You can live your life. Your life will live you. Yeah. You know, definitely being in charge of it has helped, you know, and a lot of that, you know, again, when I'm in the middle of it, I go see Al. Well, I don't mm-hmm. see him anymore. I call him now, but my, <laughs> my old therapist, <laughs> I, I do the things in the, you know, that, that I can do mm-hmm. myself, which I guess maybe bootstrapping or whatever I do. I diet, I exercise, I do all the things that I, yeah. that, that I am in charge of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just, I trust yeah. But what do you guys say here? Trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah. Celebrate the miracles. Yeah. I remember seeing the little keychain yeah, that I got. And that's what I do. That's what helps me. It's like, hey, anxiety's in, depression's in. Mm-hmm. I know I know the process and I'm going to trust it because guess what? Last time I trusted it, I, I came out. So I'm going to trust it again. Whether it's twice as long, three times as long, or twice as short, I know that the process is going to deliver the miracle. So, mm. Hey friends, what comes to mind when I say the word community? Maybe you think of your family or your coworkers or that group of friends you had in college. Maybe you picture your favorite TV show like Friends or New Girl. I hope for you that that word feels warm and connected and safe. But unfortunately for many of us, that word can feel distant, lonely, or even empty. We want and need community. So why does it feel so stinking hard to come by? We often say at Onsite that we're hardwired for connection. But if we're hardwired for connection, why do we feel so disconnected? It should be so simple, right? So why does it feel so frustrating? Many of us are realizing that the last two years have left us lonelier, more disconnected, and that our community wasn't quite what we thought it was. That's why we created our brand new Emotional Health Masterclass, Building Healthy Community. Through guided conversation, clinical insight, and super practical application, this class will give you the tools you need to stop letting loneliness dictate your life and start creating the relationships that matter. Head to onsiteworkshops.com slash community and use the code podcast at the checkout to get $40 off. Now, back to the show. Even the way you described it, it sounds like used to kind of internalize it. Yeah. yeah. And it's just even like the shame of having depression and anxiety. Yes. And like once you can like name it and vocalize yeah. it and it loses control and power over you. Yeah, totally. No, yeah, it really so does. powerful and it's like, hey, I'm going to like trust in the process. I mm-hmm. have practical things I can do to move through this. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to take some of the control back and the ownership oh, man. and then that can make such a shift in it. Yeah, no, it, it does. And, and it... Uh, and always knowing that there's always going to be more healing available, mm. and 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 that that's that's also the thing. Like, yeah, I've not arrived. Yeah, like, I've not. I've not. I'm not like just a walking angel <laughs> that is has no flaws and anxiety or like. There's always going to be more. You know the fact this this course on shame yeah. that you said is coming out. Like I'm like right when you said that I'm like oh man I, w- I want to take that yeah. because. There's probably some more healing that that can ha- come out of that, and so, you know, I I came, I did the Living Center program, like I don't know, eight years ago now, however long, maybe even more than that, and that was a massive, 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 massive shift in my towards my healing. Yeah. Because when I left, when I left onsite, I'm telling you what, if I was li- living at twenty percent of my potential, even if 
if Living Center got me to 65% of my, it 65% felt like felt 100%, yeah. right? Like, because when you're living it, when you're barely breathing and then you've come out and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm breathing. It feels like 100%. Yeah. If I would have just said, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I would have lived the rest of my life at 65% and not even known it. Mm. But what we have to keep realizing is there's always more. There's always more available. So now once once that second piece happened, mm-hmm. now I'm like, oh, okay, this is a lifelong thing. Like, I'm going to continue on this journey. I talk about it all the time is when I moved to Nashville, this is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I moved to Nashville, I developed adult onset asthma. Mm. I had no idea that I was asthmatic until my wife told me one night, she said, hey, you're wheezing every night. And I was like, what do you mean I'm wheezing? She said, like, you sound like Darth Vader. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? Because I'm running, I'm I'm doing all these things. She said, you need to go to an allergist. So I said, okay. So I go to an allergist and I tell the allergist, literally, I was like, my wife, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making a weird sound. Maybe I'm snoring, but she says that she thinks I have um, asthma. He goes, okay, let's let's do a test. So he has me, no, he does the allergy test on my back and it's kind of gross. They, they, they poke little, needles? the needles, right? Like they prick you with like 30 different like allergies and, and they serve they, in little circles. They draw all over your back. Mm-hmm. So he pricks me with everything like, like horse and cat and hay fever and grass and pollen. Well, my entire back, the, he comes back in and he's like, <gasps> and he kind of freaks out and he goes and gets another doctor and a couple nurses. He's like, you guys got to see this. And I was like, what's wrong? My, my back, first of all, felt like it was on fire. Yeah. He goes, we can't see where one allergy thing pops and the, the other one starts. Like your entire back is just swollen, oh. which means like you're allergic to Tennessee is what he said. Mm. Oh he, my said gosh. he said, you're basically, I've only lived here like a year. And so he's like, so let's do a breathing test. So I did a breathing test. He's like, you're only using 65% of your lung capacity. Mm. Now here's the thing. I felt fine. I felt normal. So he goes, so he walks over to me and he hands me an inhaler. Mm-hmm. He goes, I want you to take a hit. I was like, okay. So he teaches me how to do it. So let it be known. I'm only breathing at 60% of my lung capacity at this moment. You I don't thought know. It was 100. I thought it was a hundred. <laughs> I take the hit of the inhaler. I take a breath and then I take one more. And I went from 65% to a hundred percent. And right in front of that man almost started to cry mm-hmm. because I didn't know that I was suffocating. Mm. And so I tell people this all the time, like in that moment, I realized there was so much more healing that needed to be done. And when I took that inhaler, so, so all of that to say the, the lesson here is with your anxiety and depression, if you've gone to therapy, if you've done all these things and you feel amazing, yeah. I promise you there's even more lung breath available for you. I love that. It's like, really we want to keep growing and learning in every yeah. area of our yes. lives. Yeah. Yeah. And you were to circle back to one of the things we talked about at the beginning. I think sometimes that that quest for learning and growing is hard for people around us. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I don't want to be the person I was yesterday or five years ago or 10 years ago. Right. Oh, yeah. And I want to be around people that like want to watch me grow and move with me. Yes. Yes. Hence the friend A and friend B. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like like be friend B, you know, like get Mm -hmm. surround people that are growing and be with them. And because they are going to change, you know, and there there's things about them that will shift. And there's things that I care about now yeah. that, you know, I, I mean, I get it all the time. People are, that have followed me for a long time. I've kind of lived a fairly public life on the Internet. And 
people that were around in my blog days, mm-hmm. you know, will it's either one of two things. Like I'll either get a DM on Instagram saying, I miss the old Carlos. Like, why aren't you sharing about these things anymore? Everything's about this. There's that, ver- or there's the one that is like, I, it's mind blowing to watch your transformation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love to watch it, you know? And I'm like, be that one, be yeah. that person, you know? So. I love that analogy. And I love the idea of just celebrating the people around us because I think when you get healthy, it gives the people in your life permission to do that. Yeah. And it can either be a catalyst or it can be a deterrent. Right. Um, and right. I think that's so beautiful and yeah. what you're saying. I also love the analogy of being outside of your anxiety. Like that's what I just kept reflecting mm. on when I was hearing that. I'd be saying, well, I have like the anxiety or even just some of the phrasing you used. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like my anxiety. It was the anxiety outside of there. And yeah. I love the analogy we use around here sometimes of who's in the car. And so you said like, I'm traveling with anxiety and depression through this season. Yep but they're not driving. Yes, yes. They're in the car. And if I choose to let anxiety drive, then we're going to, you know, we're going to stay really safe and we're going to stay away from all the pretty sights. But if I say, I'm going to take control of this and have a different relationship and orienting your relationship with anxiety. Yes. Opened up this whole world for you. Well, and it opened up a whole world and it really, our words are so powerful. Yeah. What we say is so powerful. So, you know, people may not agree with this, but I, I don't, I no longer say that I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like I've changed my language. Yeah. What if I changed my language? What, what if I changed it to where I'm going through a season of anxiety? I'm going, again, what is that doing to me? It's letting me know that there's a beginning and there's an end. So even be careful with your language. Yeah. That you're uh, not defined that by you're it. You're not defining yeah. yourself by whatever issue you're dealing with, you know, because language, again, Secular psychologists or faith-based therapists or whatever, maybe all of the, across the spectrum will will let agree. you know how important and agree how important our language is and how we can lock ourselves into agreements by simply what we say. Hmm. So you know, that's yeah. like a small shift. I hear you saying. What are some other small shifts that you've made, um, and how have those small choices impacted the way you lean into other places in your life? Like, yeah. okay, I'm getting healthy in my mental health. What are some of those areas you've done and how have you seen the yeah. impact? No, that's great. I, um, I've made a lot of small, you know, tiny, tiny shifts in, again, my language and not mm-hmm. saying, not claiming in my language that I have anxiety. Also, you know, I go into a lot of, a lot of my, my teaching deals with helping people breaking agreements, yeah. um, with, uh, with lies that they believe, you know, and so small shifts for me have been, I've had to realize that I, I make agreements every single day mm. that I have to break. And so I, there's become a practice that I do every single day, every single morning, I wake up and I write down what, what agreements have I made yesterday that aren't true? Mm. What agreements have I made with lies? Uh, and then well, let me just- What would be like an example yeah, yeah, of one? Yeah. So here's a great example. Um, let's do three days ago. I spoke at a conference and the guy that spoke before me, I, everybody loved uh, I mean, I'm telling you. And when I saw his name before me, I was like, "I'm. Why am I even here? Like, why, what, what, what am I even doing?" So, so I actually had to do this before I spoke. I had, I, I knew the agreements that I was making, right? I was no, actually, yeah. And so, so these agreements I was making were going to follow me onto the stage, and were going to come out of my mouth in some way, shape. I was going to apologize probably for like, mm. oh, "Sorry, guys, you got to listen to me," right? All these things. So, and I had to walk into the bathroom. I had to look in. And I had to break the agreement. And, and what, what I what I do when I do that, again, I do this every single day, like every single morning. Um, this time I just did it in the moment. But I, I, I named the lie. Mm-hmm. The lie was that 
this person was going to be so impactful that I would, there was going to be zero impact left for me. Mm. That was the lie. The scarcity, yeah. Yep. So I had to find truth. So first, first I actually said, I break that agreement. I actually just said that out loud. Yeah. I no longer believe that. That agreement is broken. I now replace that lie with this truth. And that, that's the part that most people miss in, mm-hmm. in this little practice is they'll break the agreement, but they won't go and they'll find the lie. So then I actually had to say, I went down through my talk and I said, these are the three impactful things that are going to change somebody's life today. Mm-hmm. And, and I replaced it with that truth. So there's that. Or it could be, you know, in a relationship that you, you know, a fight you had the night before with somebody you, that you can live the entire day, all day with, with an agreement that probably isn't true. So you break those things every single morning. So again, these are in one of my books, Kill the Spider. I, you know, I, I'm helping people get to like the big agreement yeah. that maybe yeah. childhood traumas happen. This this stuff's happening every single day. Like you got to You got to break these things every day. So that, that's another, yeah. you know, thing that I do every day is I find the agreement and I break the agreement. I just do it all day long. And that doesn't, Um, the way that you're talking about it, it doesn't feel like this huge or gargantuan process. It's pretty quick. It's very, it's literally, when you say it out loud, Mm -hmm. it triggers the breaking. When you literally just say it out loud, it triggers the breaking. Yeah. I um, sat in on a program a couple weeks ago that we were doing out at the Oaks called Rediscovering You Live. Okay. And um, a lot of my work was around this agreement that I've held for a long time that I think that a lot of times I pick up the idea that there's like not enough room mm. for like my needs. Yeah. And so yeah. I like lean into just facilitating how I can be supportive of other people's right, needs. Right, right, right. And instead sort of like claiming the truth that yes. like I, I I matter and like yeah. I, right. I, yeah. I, I deserve to vocalize those things yeah. and that people will love me. Yes. Even in spite of my needs. Yes, or, um, yes. But I think that I love what you're saying because the shift of kind of getting in the habit of seeing them in the moment yeah. and not waiting till they grow and into then this. Then you have to go to onsite or yeah. you have to, yeah. you don't have to wait. Like, yeah. You yeah. Know, there's, you, the, there's work to be done in yeah. the every day. Every single day. There's, there's a lot of work. Um, I, I'd say another thing that, that has allowed me maybe to find some of these agreements, you know, Lindsay, that even, even you just talked about is really lowering the volume of my everyday life. Hmm. That that has been massive for me. And I think people what, like, what does that look like I, I think people people hear that and they may think like, oh, that means like, you know, throwing your burning your phone. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, th- or throwing them all away or whatever. And no, like I, I make my living on Instagram. Kind of <laughs> yeah. like on that thing. But what it does mean is slowing down my consumption of content. To be honest, mm, with, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, we're recording a great podcast. Not everybody needs to be listening to this podcast because yeah. because you've got you already have you're already reading your three books that you're trying to apply. We I just don't believe that we were created to consume the amount that of content that we're consuming. Oh, totally agree. You know, and yeah. so and so you know, I I look look back. I'm researching for my next book right now, and and um, one of the studies I keep going back to is <laughs> is a study that came out in 2015. So it's, it's seven years ago now. But in 2015, it showed that the amount of content that we consume in the first 15 minutes we're awake is the mm. same amount of content that our great grandparents consumed in a month. And so, and this is because mm. we use our phones as our alarm clocks, and then we wake up, and then there's notifications, and we swipe, and we consume, 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 consume. So, so to uh, to apply this, what did I do? Like, I literally subscribed to the New York Times, mm-hmm. and there's a like a, a 
paper. It's actually a paper that somebody, I don't even, I don't know. I didn't know they still do this. Some dude drives by my house in the morning and throws the paper in my yard. So guess what? I, I don't have a phone in my room anymore. Mm. I just have an alarm clock. And an alarm clock, for people that don't know, are these things that you plug into your wall that just tell you the time and wake you up. I don't use my phone. I leave my phone in the in the other room. And the way I consume my news now yeah. is I wake up. I, I look forward to it every day. I mean, mm. It's so great. I wake up early. I, I'm just like my m- Mr. Beaver or my dad or whoever it was. Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> and I walk out. I'm not in my bathroom, but I pick up my newspaper mm-hmm. and that's what I do. I read the news and guess what? I don't consume any more news mm. until the next day when I pick the newspaper. If something happens in the world, I, I can probably wait till tomorrow yeah. to, to know if it's going to. So like I've made conscious decisions to lower the volume of life, lower the speed of life. Okay. We human beings walk at three miles an hour. Mm-hmm. That's the pace we were created to commute. Nothing we do anymore is three miles an hour. No. So people wonder why we're having, you know, anxiety and depression out of control, all these things. I honestly believe a big piece is because we weren't created to carry the capacity of stories, good or bad, that we're carrying anymore. So that's another huge thing that I've done Mm. is I've lowered the volume um, in my life of everything else that's coming at me. So that and that was probably one of the biggest, biggest things that I've done, practically speaking. Yeah, I think we call those things a lot at onsite, like the two degree shifts. And yeah. it doesn't seem like that revolutionary of an idea, but I think they're so impactful and they just, they probably impact you to make different decisions oh, every day. When you've yes. got more space and more margin, you can do that. And when you don't have your phone, the first thing you do, like, how yeah. do you get more curious? How do you open your eyes to different things? And yeah. I just think that's such an interesting, like yeah. very simple, practical things. Yep. All those things. I, I just feel like we're... You know, we are, we as human beings, we are adaptable. We, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do believe that we we continue to evolve. Um, but I also believe that where we're like maybe our bodies and our minds may be evolving. I don't know if our souls are evolving. I feel mm. like our souls are the same as they've always been. So we just have to protect those things, you yeah. know? On that same track, I just have a question for you. How do you choose the voices that speak back into your life? I feel like mm-hmm. you're someone who's putting a lot of content into the world. As you were sharing, we have so much content to choose from. How do you get strategic about the people who you consume um, and the voices that speak into your life, whether from afar yeah. or from right up personal? Well, A, I don't have a lot. Yeah. So like I don't use Twitter anymore. Mm. Like, I used to be on that all the time, you know. Um, surprisingly, people may be surprised that follow me on Instagram. I'm actually not on Instagram a lot mm. um, because I, I do in my habit of content, I delete it every day. Um, and so when I want to upload a story, I have to reinstall it and put in my password, username and password. And so sometimes there'll be four days in a row where I'm just like, eh, you know, and so people are like, are you okay? Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Is everything okay? Um, so I am, I, I consume a lot less, mm-hmm. but in my line of work right now, yeah. I do consume a lot of like educational material, mm-hmm. right? And I try to, because I do find myself as I'm an Enneagram nine, I'm a peacemaker. Mm. Um, I got an eight wing. So there is a little bit of, you know, like I'm okay with conflict. So I'm constantly consuming because I'm a teacher and I'm trying to bridge the divide. I'm constantly consuming really both sides of issues. So I have found voices that I trust mm-hmm. on both sides say of the, we'll say of politics. Yeah. And so there's, there's, there's a podcast I listen to every day on the left and a podcast I listen to every day on the right. Hmm. Now I, I lean more to the left 
but I really trust the, this right voice that I found. Yeah. Um, and so like those, that that's daily for me. So I've got, I've got about an hour. I, I won't consume it. Sometimes I'll save or skip them or whatever, but I've got those that I consume every single day with that. Mm-hmm. So that's just, again, that's for me. And I do believe that it's healthy for everybody that's listening to consume and listen to other people. I don't think like you. Um, Get you out of the echo chamber. I was just thinking like, yeah, am I strategically doing that? Yeah. 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 You know, and, and there's some people that may not be your vibe or your jive, mm-hmm. you know, so find somebody that, you know, just because they have a difference of opinion doesn't mean that you you can't learn from them. But then also when it comes to like socials and, and Instagram, I'm definitely not, I, I, I have to ask myself this question every single day. Am I following this person to feel bad about myself? Mm-hmm. Because we'd be surprised how many people we follow that we don't know the sole purpose of following them is to judge ourselves. Mm. <laughs> like, like if you don't know them and, and they're making you feel bad somehow, like jealous every single day, it's probably not a good idea to follow them. And what about like in real life? How do you unfollow people in real life? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's important too. Like there's definitely relationships that I have let go Yeah, that um, just haven't made me feel good about myself, you know, and, and it's been hard, mm-hmm. but guess what? Like I know that there's people that are really committed to relationships and, Sometimes that the medicating behavior that you may have may be one may be attached to one of your greatest assets or greatest gifts, right? So some someone's greatest gift that could be listening to this is loyalty. And that is a great gift that is going to let a lot of people feel loved. But that also can drag you down by the freaking neck to the bottom of your ocean mm. of depression. Because you're so loyal, you won't get rid of relationships that you need to. And so just know that, that there's some great things about if you're really good at relationships, real good at friendships, that's great. But there's all, you, you gotta make sure you're looking at the other side and that you're constantly realizing, oh, maybe is my loyalty ruining my life every day? Um, (laughs) Because I'm allowing myself to continue in relationship with some of these, you know, people. And so, yeah, some relationships I've had to have the hard conversation and then some relationships, you know, I've just kind of let, nope, it's been two weeks. Nope. Now it's been four. Now it's been six and then you, you know, you don't have to make a speech every single time you yeah, change a moment in life. Just let it go. You know, we have a mutual friend, Eve, and yeah. about mm-hmm. a decade ago we were talking and she, she introduced this idea of sort of analyzing our friendships and like, who are your very important people? Yes. And then who are your very negative people and yeah. your very draining people? Yeah. And I remember the, when I had that talk with her, it was the first time I realized that I, I could look at that, I could name it, oh, yeah. and I didn't have to be friends with right. the people mm. that were negative and draining. You don't yeah. have to. That, you know, friendships <laughs> are seasonal sometimes, and that's okay. It is okay. And it was like such a gift to be able mm. to like just let go of some of the things yeah. that were really hard and yeah. taking energy that they didn't deserve. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. I no, think it's that good. Hear that, people. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's okay yeah. to let some go, you know? Yeah. Carlos, thank you for being <gasps> with us. You're welcome. This was fun. I know. And um, you and Heather are. Dear people in my life. So. Oh, we love you so much. Not negative, not draining. Oh, right. Very important people. <laughs> love it. So yeah, love thank it. you so much for just being here and the way you show up in the world. Yep. Love you guys. Thanks for having me. The hope awesome. that you yes. keep pouring out. So. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. You're thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. 
And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.